This is exactly right. We have so many problems in our society, you know, homeless and other things. This, if you look at the percentage of homeless um, people that were former foster and adoptive care um, children, the numbers are staggering. And so these issues of unresolved trauma really do have a greater impact. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is navigating the foster to adoption journey with our guest, Janelle Jones. Janelle is an early education entrepreneur currently operating multiple early learning centers, which specialize in providing high-quality learning experiences to children who experience trauma in low-income areas. Her education background includes earning a bachelor's degree in business management and a master's in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis on autism spectrum disorders from Arizona State University. A native of Phoenix, Janelle has provided her expertise to families for the last decade and currently hosts private discussions with other foster and adoptive parents on current issues affecting the non-traditional home. She is the author of her new book, which we are going to take a deep dive into today, called Shattered. Through her life experiences, passion is the source by which she governs herself to make a difference. The goal is not to be perfect, but to assist others in rising through difficulties. Janelle's blueprint of success can be summed up in a few statements. Be tenacious, be kind, be loving, but most of all, be forgiving. Janelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I finished your book last night. And for the most part, I am completely speechless. I am, in my own way, torn and shattered from learning about your experience, Mercy's experience, your family's experience, and of course, we know the experience of so many others in your situation. And I was trying to think how to start today, and the only thing I could come up with is you are an absolute warrior. Thank you. You put yourself, all of yourself, into your family, your large family, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, your your work, your advocacy, your centers, and I guess you know. Where, I guess the place to start is how are you right now with your journey, which you talk about so openly in the book. You know, I'm actually in a pretty good place with my journey. Um, Writing the book provided a lot of healing for me. 
And so it really um, allowed me to put what I was going through in words um, and try Mm -hmm. to do something to help others um, with the journey. And so I think I'm good because I'm hoping that that journey we can use to do something greater. Mm -hmm. And that's our goal today, right? Let's get the word out of the challenges with the foster adopt system. And when I say challenges, I'm thinking I'm being very kind with that word. Um, compared to what you've experienced is the challenges, the complexities, the injustices, um, the wrongdoing, um, both no, not knowing and too much knowing. Where do you think is the great, a good place to start to tell our listeners about your, to set the tone for your experience with Mercy? I think maybe on, I think the first thing I want to say, because I know my, my story is complex is this isn't to discourage people about adopting. Um, but it's really to inform and to say, you know, we have a system that we need to make safe for children and for families and we need to talk about it. I feel that a lot is not said. It's it's unknown. And so until we bring what's happening to the light, we're not going to be able to find a solution to what's going on. Mm-hmm. As you say, uh, adoption, it won't be what you expect, but you're not alone. And so what do you, what do you mean by that? You know, I am at times a very optimistic person. And so You know, when I brought um, Mercy into my home, it was really, you know, I there was this expectation that I'm going to get this little girl and I'm going to give her toys and I'm going to put pretty bows in her hair and I'm going to give her, you know, a nice warm bed and food in her belly and we're going to live happily ever after. And even though I work with children and I understand that there's more to that. That was really the mission. You know, it was like, oh, we're going to live happily ever after. It's going to be a new princess story. And it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of hard work and, you know, there's a lot of heartbreak. And so it's, it's, it's can be a good thing, but I think we need to come into it with realistic expectations too. Mm -hmm. It dispels this this notion un, this un, unfortunately the love conquers all mm-hmm. right like if love could conquer all things would be a lot easier but kids and from my experience in working with foster and adoptive kids and parents over the years um in the mental health and social service system it, it's it's love is necessary but not sufficient because there is so often this is often there's we're not talking we're not going to overly generalize but often when kids have been in the system and kids have been to several placements, there is trauma. And as in the case of mercy, unimaginable trauma. And that often is not talked about, told, transmitted to the foster parents and eventual adoptive parents. And, um, 
it's unbelievable the harm that 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 lack of knowledge does for everybody involved. Correct. You know, one the work in my preschool is early intervention, and so I deal with children with trauma. But our goal is to is to introduce intervention at an early age, and that makes a difference. Um, and what's happening in our in our foster and adoptive care system is it's not happening at an early age. Sometimes it's most of the time it's not happening at all. And these children, I mean, just getting to be a foster child is traumatic, let alone the situation that got them there. And Mm -hmm. we don't have adequate care for them when they get there. And so, you know, is it a lack of understanding basic child development or understanding um, social emotional issues with children? Um, but these are all issues that need to be addressed because they don't just go away. And, you know, we have so many problems in our society, you know, homeless and other things. This, if you look at the percentage of homeless um, people that were former foster and adoptive care um, children, the numbers are staggering. And so these issues of unresolved trauma really do have a greater impact. Mm-hmm. Let's set the, the stage for everyone here. So let's start with, um, you have a large, a large family, seven, seven kids ranging in age. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about, about your kids and your family structure, which by the way, like, man, I just felt, felt the love and the structure and, and how proud your kids are to be in your family through through your story? Well, I will say that, um, you know, I have seven kids ranging from ages 33 to 16, Mercy being the youngest at 16. And um, they are my world. You know, um, three I gave birth to, um, two are adopted, and then um, the others just got here. And so I'm also the kind of person that would take more children on. I probably could claim like 15, but really I think it's only mm-hmm. fair to claim seven. Um, and they are just the loves of my life. Um, they are all uniquely different um, and they are all amazing and even mercy, you know, um, mm-hmm. they are just the world to me. Yeah. Yes. Um I imagined, I, of course, I have this visual of your home and um, all the people in it and the large table, and it just seems to be full of people and love uh, most of the time. I know there's hard stuff, too. Um, Mercy, when she came to you at, eight, as, at age eight, had been already to 21 placements, yes? Yes, 21 placements. Tell everyone about this beautiful little girl that came to you and what you knew and what ultimately you learned over the difficult years. So Mercy came to me because a family in my church that does um, therapeutic foster care had her. And they were like, 
she needs a home, you know? And of course I'm like, okay. Um, I kind of like her. I, I had already felt a connection with her um, early on just from church service, but truthfully, I think I have a connection with most kids. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. they all, you know, I think they all love me and I love them all. Um, and so when I told my husband about him, he actually said, well, what's one more? Because that's kind of the family motto at this point is what's one more. Um, mm-hmm. I knew Mercy had um, some behavioral challenges. Um, I knew, you know, they had suspected um, some abuse Um And she, I really had a bond with her. Um, I remember this one particular church service, like winking at her and, you know, she winking back at me and, you know, and we just, to think, to think of mercy and to know that when she needed a home, that chances were because she was eight, she wouldn't find one. And I felt that my husband and myself could easily take her on. Um, she's actually one year younger than um, than her brother, my other adoptive son. And I felt that those two, um, he, we would really have a connection between the two of us, to, between the two of them. You know, it was almost like she was this this piece that could be missing. And she really does look a lot like my oldest child. Um, the Mm. same features to me, she was just a fit for our family and that's how she came to us. You know, she came, I came in, I remember talking to Mercy and asking her, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And she gave the perfect response. I want to help kids. And I'm like, Oh, you want to help kids like mommy, you know? So Mm-hmm. You seem to be the perfect fit for our family. How, so there was that initial bond and, and she was accepted by your kids because of course that's the kind of family that you and your husband have. What, how long did it take for some of the signs to, to see some of the signs of, wait, wait, this is, this is different. Something something just doesn't seem right. So, you know, Marcy was always challenging. Um, She always has had a very strong personality. Um, And so that, but that isn't unusual for me. I work with kids, even, um, even my nephew who I've raised, he was challenging. So, um, as I think back about it, I can see subtle signs, but those subtle signs may have been red flags to everybody else, but they weren't to me because I'm used to working with children that are not typical, you know, that Mm -hmm, need mm -hmm. a little bit more oomph, a little bit more stability, a little bit more um, love. I remember we had a lot of academic challenges. And so, um, some of it was like, you know, if a child, um, any child that has had 21 placements, can you imagine starting school at age five? She went into the system at three and here she is at eight and she's had 21 placements. That told me that she never had any stability in school. So mm-hmm. a lot of issues, I kind of, you know, okay, we've got, 
we've got to get her structure here because she she hasn't had the the academic foundation. And so a lot of things that were red flags, I thought they were issues that we could work through because she just needed opportunity. And that could have been naive on my part, um, but it was hopeful because I always want to, it's always been my goal to give a child the opportunity they need to excel. And so I'm the type of person that until I've exhausted most measures, I'm not going to yell problem. I'm just going to try to find that solution. Mm -hmm. And it unfolded over time. Like to your point, there's difficulty and there's strong will and there's learning issues and there's, you know, we can expect some attachment challenges when someone has been moved around and a transition time getting into a family. And over time, by the way, your words in the book, I have to say, like, I was on this road with you. The, like, you you tell the story so well. Um, and it's it's not a book you can just stop because it just keeps going and you're wanting to know what's happening. Um, I, as a psychologist, I was reading and able to start to, you know, see all of the signs unfold of um, not only attachment issues and be the related behavioral issues and then complex trauma, and then the emergence of what was seeming like significant mental health issues, which um, were expressing in very extreme form. So here you are, someone who's an expert in child development, has training, um, advanced training in neurodiversity and autism. Um, deals with mental health and behavioral issues all the time. And yet you were learning, this was, this was, there were new terms that you were learning and new symptoms and behavior that you really had not come across before. Yes. You know, from my, um, from my other son that's adopted, um, I used to make a statement and I used to say, Ooh, nothing is harder than autism. Well, I think I found it. You know, mental yeah. health is definitely um, harder. This one was, at least. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, even as much as I know, I as a parent, um, I'm always one, you know, trying not to self-diagnose. You know, we try not to self-diagnose. And sometimes I don't think I gave myself enough credit. I would see issues unfolding and I would be like, mm, no, it can't be that. Mm -hmm. And it was, but I didn't, and it could have been that I didn't want to see it, but it was, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not really a professional. And sometimes even when you're seeking professional help, it takes a minute for it to unfold with the psychologist, you know, with mm -hmm. the therapist. And unfortunately, when I was using um, the resources given to me, the therapy wasn't very good. So at some point I had to go, you know, I think I know more about the situation than the person that is in front of me and I've got to go find somebody else. And so all of those things were challenges because the care that was given was really not adequate. Mm -hmm. And one of your main points is what 
could have been done different and earlier had you been given information that people did know? Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, as the story progresses, um, I come in contact with my daughter's biological siblings. And when that happens, I get this history, you know, this horrible history. They can't say they didn't know because a lot of those kids are still in the system and Mm -hmm. they're siblings and they, she was at the court hearings. So it's all there. And then later, and I really had to press like you guys knew. And then later to get the response, well, if we would have told you, you may not have adopted her. That's Mm -hmm. just really bad. There's no disclosure. Mm -hmm. Right. How, and, and, and given that this conversation, you know, as someone who is an advocate for foster parents and adoptive parents, and yet telling your story is a very difficult one to say the least to shine a light on all of the challenges. So, so what's this balance of, yes, these kids need loving homes and be careful, be cautious. Here's the things that you need to do to make sure that you're making an informed decision as a foster or foster adopt parent. You know, we, you know, we have to know the past as unpleasant Mm -hmm. as it may be. We have to know because as a family, you know, I have children. And so some of these children have horrendous pasts, right? And we need to be able to even guard our own children, bringing that into the picture. In addition to the children, even in the system, going around other children, there has to be levels of protection for everyone. And Mm -hmm. we have to have honest conversations. You know, when you purchase a home, they're going to give you a disclosure that there was a flood, there was a fire, you know, there was a murder but you can adopt a whole person and you get no disclosure. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. How, well, safety. So you're talking about safety and I think that's really important and it's safety for everyone. Um, because we unfortunately know that bad things happen at, Uh, group homes. They happen at inpatient residential facilities of all levels. Um, Families are bringing kids into their home with their other kids, as you did. And it's not only protecting everyone from a child who is suffering, has complex post-traumatic stress, um, and potentially mental health issues, Uh, or more significant, potentially more significant mental health issues, but how to protect, know how to protect the child from themselves because Mercy didn't know, Mercy didn't know what was going on with her. Right. And had to keep much of it to herself. Yeah. And that is our job as a parent. You know, our jobs as parents is to protect our children. And my job is, is still to protect Mercy. And sometimes that is from herself. And unfortunately, they don't understand the trauma, you know, and there's been so many times I've had to tell Mercy, you know what, that's not fair. That wasn't right that that happened to you. And it's Mm -hmm. okay. And even giving them um, the avenue to trust you, 
You know, we have to establish relationships with these children. If I would have known Mercy's past, I don't, I can't say I would have adopted her or I wouldn't have, but I definitely would have went about things different. You know, I would have, if I didn't adopt her, I wouldn't have walked away. You know, I would have still wanted to be in her life because I had that bond with her. Um, Mm -hmm. But we definitely wouldn't have wasted so much time because also the thing is when we're talking about these children, we got brain development going on. We have vital years where Mm -hmm. interventions and things need to happen. And when you're playing catch up in a system, when things are hidden from you, you're wasting valuable time in which Mm -hmm. we could have gotten her more help and it would have been more impactful. Mm-hmm. And then by the time things escalate, we're in crisis mode and we're calling police and we're looking at involuntary hospitalizations and then we're looking at different levels of care and um, which you describe a lot. Um, and to everyone listening, we're trying to walk the balance of, of you need to read the story. So we're giving generalities here so you can really experience the story. I'm curious from your experience, there's, there's this dilemma in the system, in the mental and behavioral health system, but particularly in the residential systems between like just securing someone's safety, a, a, a hospitalization because danger to self and others versus actual treatment, right? Actual treatment for the trauma, um, actual diagnostic work to understand what this complex person, um, how we conceptualize them to guide a treatment plan. At what point, like how much and when did, and I'm hoping trauma work come into this, her situation versus containment and safety issues? To be honest, I still feel that we have not gotten the trauma work we needed because finding that is really difficult. Um, even in what we've experienced in the book, um, since the book is ended, um, everybody's like, there needs to be another book. Um, because Mm -hmm. more information has come out about what happened at the facilities. You know, a lot of the facilities, it is containment. It is Mm -hmm. get them to the point where they're stable and send them home. Well, a lot of that is happening from over-medicating and then, you, you know, I was under the impression, under the impression until recently that, you know, she was at group and she was getting all these therapies. No, she was medicated. She was overly medicated. And then when she was stable for like 30, 60 days, they sent her home. And then when they try to take the medication back because it's too much medication and it's very detrimental to her, her system, we have a whole bunch of problems because she hasn't been taught the skills and she hasn't received the the trauma work that she needs. So that is what I'm still trying to navigate through. And we have some very real problems with our mental health program, trying to get these kids what they need. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there is been, um, I mean, trauma in, in the mental health world is there are, um, 
more and more clinicians trained in specific research empirically backed approaches to trauma. Um, I don't think there's still enough folks and mm -hmm. I don't think we fully understand the impact of trauma throughout so much of mental and behavioral health challenges. You know, we, we, we just look at, we try to find labels. We, um, try to help change behavior. We work on depression and anxiety. As you said, we have all of these medicines, which can be very helpful in many, many situations mm -hmm. when Definitely. prescribed, uh, responsibly and um, when there's someone looking after them. And yet it's like this early childhood experience or someone who has an acute traumatic experience. It's like it happens and then I, I feel like, I don't know if it's, do you, it, it's our human nature to almost want to not have to consider the difficulty and the hard stuff when we're looking at this, this human. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you know, and like we said before, and we're not giving the impact to trauma that trauma has enough. We're not giving it enough emphasis. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem that we really don't understand what trauma is doing to these children. And even if we go back to the adoption and foster care system, it's trauma when they get there. And then when they're going right. from placement to placement, when they're being ripped away from their siblings, that's additional trauma. And then we've got this big mess. And then what do we do when they turn 18? We kick them out and they're just done. Right. Without a system. <laughs> and we're going to have more trauma. We're, right. More trauma perpetuated um, mm -hmm. through the generations because that's all they know. You know, I think it's many people can't even understand the idea that there are foster parents that abuse their foster kids. And again, let, we want to, we want to, there are amazing foster parents out there. And so again, trying to be even handed when we're talking about the 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 continuum of foster parents, what is your experience and and what is you know what do you think people should know? You know, I think with everything, there's good and bad in everything. And so I think that there are a lot of foster parents that are in it for the right reason. Um, I know a lot. I talk to a lot. I belong to groups with a lot of them. And there's a lot of a lot of us that are trying to work with these children that have experienced trauma, but we also have really bad ones. Just like we have good caseworkers and we have bad yeah. caseworkers, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we have to be transparent on the bad and the good. And there needs to be consequences. You know, it's almost like, you know, I do preschool. And so it's almost like saying, I'm not going to send my child to daycare or preschool or childcare because I saw something on the news and it was a bad one. Well, yeah, there are going to be bad ones on occasion and we need to do our due diligence and we need to, we need to do our background checks and we need to make sure that these people are trained and we, we need to follow up and we need to take action against the, we need to hold the ones that are bad accountable. Right. Mm -hmm. And we need to change the system. We have to we have to have the uncomfortable discussions and we have to make change. 
Mm-hmm. Before we move into the change and uh, your suggestions to all the foster parents and foster adopt parents out there, how's your family doing? I, I know uh, there was everyone was close, and there are a few of your kids who are very who are very close to Mercy, and I just wanted to check in on how they're doing through this whole process. You know, bringing Mercy in introduced a lot of trauma into my family. And um, I feel that we are navigating through it. And so it is, um, it's actually, this journey has had, my family now has had to get mental health care. um, And we have to have real discussions, but it's life. And, you know, and we are going to encounter things that aren't pleasant in life. You know, I am the kind of parent that wants to keep my children in a bubble, want to keep them protected, want to keep them happy and want to keep them safe. But and that's what all parents, you know, I I think that's Mm -hmm. what a lot of us parents want to do. But when things but when things don't happen that way, you know, we have to adapt and we have to take the time and get the care that we need and heal and get back out there and do it again. Mm-hmm. Resilience. I mean, you are someone who wrote resilience is, is throughout through on every page of the book. I mean, I don't know how you got out of bed some days. I don't know how you got on planes some days. I don't know how you did your real life with this life. Um, you have been tested. And some days I stayed in bed. And some days mm-hmm. I just cried, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, some days it, I just couldn't move. And then mm-hmm. some days I had to make that plane. <laughs> so it was, right. you know, I go to the airport looking yeah. horrible, but you just, you know, I knew I had to keep pushing for mercy because I knew she was all I, ha- I was all she had mm-hmm. at times. And yeah. so I had to keep fighting for her. I just refused to let her down and I still refuse to let her down. You know, I know she's made comments to me that, Mom, I knew I just had to get to you because you would make mm. it better. And though, mm. and that's just what a mom has to do. You just mm-hmm. have to make it for, for that baby. Mm-hmm. How is she doing right now? You know, she's, she's doing okay. You know, she is, she's coming into her own um some sometimes I'm like, oh, you are definitely a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she she's funny. Um, she has a very sweet and caring side. Um, she has a very rambunctious side. Um, yesterday we were, you know, yesterday she had called and um, I had to correct her and she didn't really like it. But, you know, she takes correction from me. And she gets mm-hmm. mad at me for saying the things that a mom says. And I tell her that's what a mom has to do. And yes. I'm going to love you anyway. And I was like, in some days she doesn't like me, but it's okay. That's, mm-hmm. I'm a parent. That's what parents do. That sounds like a teenager. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about where she is now? You know, um, with lots of prayer, um, I feel good. And sometimes some days I'm praying more than others. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I have my ups and downs. You know, last week I had a moment with the system where I was just angry um, at the whole system again. And then, you know, we had to push through it. And I have to remind myself, you know what, we have to make a change for everyone. And mm-hmm. so that's just mm-hmm. the good days and the bad days. Life, mm-hmm. as you say. So this sh- this re- this show is coming out uh, May, which is, as we all know, is National Foster Care Awareness Month. This is important. This is important conversation. This is important message, and we need foster parents. We need adoptive parents. We need loving, nurturing homes for these people who have no fault in their life circumstance. Yes. What is your what is your pitch to everyone from your you know being who you are? What do you have to say about being a foster parent, being an adoptive parent and to all parents who either are or are considering? You know, I think being a foster and an adoptive parent is still a good thing even with my journey with Mercy. Um, I think that we need to have very real discussions on our system. Um, and I think we need to make changes. And I think if we can get more people involved, we can have these honest discussions that protect our children and protect our families. And that's why I told my story. I told my story because there's a lot of wrong and there's a lot of dysfunction and there's a lot of, um, interesting things that happen in it. But Mm -hmm. I told it because I want to start the change. And we've got to do that for these children and for these families. It's the only way to make things better. I've Mm -hmm. always felt like the reason why things happen in the foster and adoptive care system is because nobody tells the story. If somebody tells about all the injustices that happen, it will force people to make changes. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to start the change. You got a lot of people behind you and um, your book is a catalyst for that change. You tell your story with such raw authenticity and emotion and, and, and it's a message of let's be real and let's not be afraid of of answers to questions that we're not asking like th- that's the, the greatest fear is not knowing when we when we know we have information and we can do something about it yes yes for for folks who are looking at fostering or looking at potentially adopting what are your recommendations? I think the recommendations are to get involved into the system and to look at the policies and to ask questions um, and really spend time with the children and even their um, whoever has the children. So if they're in a group home or if they're you know with a temporary foster placement, really try to talk to them. And sometimes they don't know, but really try to dig into 
the behaviors and the patterns, and then ask the questions to the caseworkers and then hold them accountable and use your voice. Um, I feel that a lot of our agencies don't have a lot of accountability because I am a letter writer too. And so sometimes I didn't get responses when I went as high up as I could, but we mm-hmm. still need to, to make those comments. We still need to complain. We still need to use our voice. And mm-hmm. then we need to find support and we need to support each other. Mm-hmm. Our children deserve it. Because yes. these children, whether you adopt or you foster or you, whether you do or you don't, chances are you're going to encounter one of these children or your children are going to encounter them or a friend. Mm-hmm. You're going to be impacted. So let's yeah. try to make that impact better. Mm-hmm. So do research, ask questions, hold individuals and organizations and institutions accountable and step in with eyes wide open um, and knowing that you have the potential to change a life and not only a life, but generations um, through your act. These children deserve, you know, they deserve a future. They deserve families, you know, Mm -hmm. they deserve love. I mean, some of these stories are just so sad. And some of these children, sometimes the most difficult ones have, oftentimes they have the worst, the worst stories. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why they're so challenging. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can create those bonds, the thing about me and Mercy, um, most people that know us will say our bond, you know, we're really bonded. And Mm -hmm. that's because I've been there. And these kids need to know that somebody loves me. Somebody Mm -hmm. cares about me. Somebody is going to fight for me. They deserve it. Yeah. And Mercy's very lucky to have you in her life, even though in moments she doesn't always appreciate it. (laughs) It's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even had an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your children, and or those you love. Ooh, so in thinking about that question, of course, I'm going to be long-winded because it's going to be a reflection for me, you know, at, at an early age, Um, I was kind of forced into this role of being a caregiver to my younger siblings because um, the impact of my father's um, drug addiction um, had on on my family. And so in being responsible for them, um, it caused me to grow up really quick and it caused me to become more aware um, of my siblings, um, mm-hmm. probably at a time when I would have been a lot more self-centered, self-absorbed. Um, I would say another pivotal moment in my life was my for- my firstborn son, because when I had him, that bond, that nurturing bond that was formed was different than just taking on the role 
of my brother and my sister. You know, it mm-hmm. was like, then I had this protective instinct of what I do matters and I need to protect these children, this child at all costs. And then I would say probably one of the most pivotal ones, there's been more, um, had was, was mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sitting um, through a, a family breakfast with her biological siblings and listening to her past and being able to think that she never had somebody that was willing to fight for her are willing to give up their addictions and make positive changes to make her life better. Mm-hmm. And so the impact of a system not having a parent that was fighting for their child mm-hmm. um, really made me think about my my past all the way around from the drug addiction to, of my father to um, the birth of my own child. And that I think is mm-hmm. kind of the things that have shaped me, you know, and mm-hmm. to help me. Yeah. Be. Yes. Oh man, we all have a story and um, your story. I thank you for sharing your story with everyone. Um, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And because of that, there is going to be awareness and change that was not there without your efforts. Thank you. Please tell everyone where they can find Shattered and also the GoFundMe account that you have for Mercy's Care. So you can find um, how to purchase Shattered and even the GoFundMe um, information on my website, which is JanelleJones.com, J-E-N-E-L-L, Jones, J-O-N-E-S.com. And that gives you how to purchase the book um, on all platforms. And then the GoFundMe information is listed there. That's where you guys can find Janelle. And as you can tell, and as you will read, she has capacity to talk with and help lots of people. So she is there as a resource for you all. Yes, definitely. Thank you all for listening today. This is a very important topic. This is a very important month, National Foster Care Awareness Month. Let's all be a part of positive change. Please share this with anyone you think will benefit. Thank you for being part of our community and for your five-star reviews. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com.
Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.